onto this morning. And um, hey, we've, as a country, as South Africa, we have faced a pretty rough week, haven't we? Uh, at some stage in this week, you might have, like me, woken up to, to our country bleeding and burning. And amongst all of the bad news, I think I, I was woken up to some of the worst news. And it's, and it's just the, the horrible crimes and abuses that happens, that's committed against women and children. And, and, and it, was just, it was just such a slap in our face. And I'm not a fan of the dramatic, and I'm definitely not a fan of politics, but the word crisis, when it comes to, to these things, seems a very, very accurate description um, when, when, when we speak about these things, when we hear about these things. And when we hear and read about the abuses of, of, of women and children, uh, I believe that we all have a question that comes up inside of us. And the question is this. It might sound a little different for you, but it's basically the same question. It's like, what's being done about this? It's like, who's going to stand up and do something? All right. And I think that question begs the second question is, how do you do it? How do you stop it? How do you change it? Statistically, one in five women have been exposed to some sort of physical abuse. That's 20% of women. That's crazy. 4% of all the murders committed in South Africa, its victims are children. 4%, that's crazy. It's estimated that 784,967, that's just a lot, of young people are likely to have been victims of, of sexual assault before the age of 17. Children are growing up in this violence and they, they're being exposed to this is your normal when it's not. So it's sometimes a little understandable when we, when we find that young folks struggle to contribute positively to their families, when they struggle to contribute positively to their communities. If... if if this is the example they have been given on, on how to solve conflict. So, in all honesty, I don't know if there ever should be a reason for us to have this kind of research statistics. I don't, I don't know if we, it's not that we don't need to hear it, I think that it shouldn't be there. Women should not be abused. Children should not be abused. It's not a statistic that should exist in our, in our world. And when we hear these things, we become extremely defensive. And much like the church this morning, extremely quiet. Because we hear these things and we start asking questions, questions to keep those things, those ideas, kind of at like arm's length. It happens over there but it doesn't happen over here. And the truth is, the sad truth is, that abuse knows no race, 
It knows no social, socioeconomic environment or background. It knows no suburb better than another suburb. It doesn't discriminate. The thing is that the problem is not out there. But the problem is, is in here, inside of all of us. We have been, we've been exposed to so many groups, so many movements, so many societies trying to identify a common problem so that it can address this one problem and solve one of the greatest scourges of our generation. So in the 60s, one of the movements that got great traction, that got great um, momentum, was the feminist movement. And feminist ideology, they saw these numbers, they saw these statistics around the abuses of women and children, and they believed, hey, this is a cause that we can champion. This is a cause that we should get behind. And so... The feminist ideology, the thinking was, if women and children are being abused, that leaves one other demographic as the perpetrators, and that's men. And that's really quiet. Especially men with a Judeo-Christian Worldview. A, a worldview that says men are the head of the home and, and, and women are to arrange themselves under the authority of these men in their homes. Women are to submit under their husbands. But this common denominator way of solving issues is broken when it comes to social issues. You see, all it does is it, it starts this blame shifting and it, it starts this finger pointing. And blame shifting and finger pointing has never solved anything. Because as we're sitting here, all the guys were getting stressed. It's like, what is he on about? And I don't think that's going to solve anything. In fact, finger pointing and blame shifting has never, never ever solved anything because while everybody's trying to pin the tail on the donkey, evil gets a chance to hide a little deeper, to go a little more underground, gets to find new ways to hide away. Personal responsibility, now that resolves things. And it resolves things quickly. The problem has also always been deeper than culture, education, background, language, or even gender. Good news, guys. Men are not the problem. There's a bigger problem. There are men with problems. There are women with problems. There are children with problems. Not one of them are the problem. We've been born with a problem. And problems called sin. It's tough to hear sometimes because sin is one of those words that, that we've kind of 
we've left in church. But sin is, is the damage that we cause to one another. Sin is the damage that we cause to ourselves. And that is at the root of all our problems. So how do we address that? How do we address sin? What's the answer? What's this one thing that we've all been missing all this time? I'm not going to claim to have come up with the answer. I believe God came up with the answer right when, when sin happened the first time. Because at that very moment when sin happened the first time, God already had a plan to set us all free from the problem that we all have. And he's his answer to this problem was Jesus. And so the remedy for our sin problem, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has only ever had one vehicle to administer the remedy to this problem. And that vehicle is the church. And when I say the church, it's, it's not a building. I'll be honest, this building won't save you from anything. It won't cause change in anything. It'll, it'll, it'll keep the rain off your head and possibly the wind off your face. But it's not going to change the world. It's the individuals that make up the church. They are the hope bearers. They are the answer carriers to the gospel of Christ. That's you and I, isn't it? So if the world asks, what's the answer? We have to kind of scorn go, I'm the answer. Because we are the church of God, aren't we? We hold the answer to this damage-focused world of ours. The gospel is, has always thrived through tough times, through trying times. The gospel only does better when things are bad. <laughs> so this is our time. This is our time to shine in our country as a church, as the followers of God. That might not be the message that you came to hear this morning, but it is the truth. And we can go, out, sure, amen to that. But the point is that, that Jesus told us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that the world can look up, that can look up to and see Christ and his love as a shining example, as the answer to the problems that we face. Now, when I say the church is the answer, does this mean, and, and, and the gospel is Jesus' remedy for our sin problem, does that mean that we buy big PA systems and we go stand on street corners and we tell people that they are sinful heathens and they need Jesus? They're all going to hell. I don't know that that's very effective. There might have been a time, but I don't know if this is that. But I do know this, that the answer is also not God followers living with their values and their morals in obscurity and hiding away from the problems 
and keeping it at arm's length and going that, hey, it, do, it happens out there and it does not happen in here. The church has often lost its voice because it's created this us and them paradigm. Where us Christians, it's okay over here and, and them heathens, it's bad over there. And us Christians cannot be tainted by the bad that happens over there. And it's extremely quiet. I'm so sorry. But this is the message this morning. Amen. Thank you. This, is, this paradigm of us and them is, is, is not the example that Jesus gave us. In Luke 5, in verse 31 and 32, Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and in need to repent. So if the church is the vehicle that God's going to use to bring the gospel, to bring the truth of God to the world, and Jesus calls himself a doctor. I think we're an ambulance. And this ambulance has to get people from their accident scene to Jesus as soon as humanly possible. And we get to reflect his truth, to share his love with grace. But it's impossible to do that when we're hiding in some corner when we're keeping everybody at arm's length, when we're keeping all the problems at arm's length, that's just not going to happen, is it? Our world, our country, our neighbors, our families need to see the gospel lived out, need to see the love of God lived out on a daily basis. How will, we, how will they know this ambulance? How will they know the emergency staff? I have three simple things that I think is, is apt. We need to live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope. We need to live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope. Because that's the example that will open the door to share the gospel, to share the truth of Jesus. The, ch the church has the answer. The church has always had the answer, but I'm not always sure if we believe that we're the answer. Now it's extremely quiet again. All right. So let's start here. We need to live by faith. We need to live by faith that God has placed us here at this time with these challenges, with these people around me, with that guy's beard and this guy's questions and that guy's this and this guy's that and the, and the retrenchment numbers and, and, and the abuse numbers and, and the hate crimes. God's put us here. It's not an accident. Nobody in heaven was clicking and went, oh, shucks. Sorry, that guy got the wrong time, but hey, we'll, we'll hit the next ones. None of us 
All of us were created for here and now. Quick story. In the Bible, we read in the book of Esther of a young Jewish woman who um, her, her country and every other country in the world at that stage was being taken over by the Assyrians. And young Esther was a beautiful young woman. And so they took her and they said, marry the king. And so young Esther went from normal kid to queen. But the thing is, queen wasn't all that. It wasn't the queen of England today. It was kind of just an attachment to the king's entourage. And so she, she goes through her everyday life with new challenges and new things that she face, faces. But she has a cousin in the king's administration, and his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai is doing really well in the king's court. His boss, kind of the, the head over all that, that guy's name is Haman. Now, Haman, the best way to, scri to describe Haman is that Haman had a little bit of Hitler in him. And Haman did not like the Jews. And when Haman saw Mordecai doing really, really well in the king's court, it messed with him like you can't believe. To the point where he was willing to trick the king into writing a law that says, kill the Jews. And so Haman goes home, and he starts building gallows to kill the Jews. It's a nice person, isn't it, Haman? Mordecai hears about this, and he's like, I have to get out of here. So Mordecai goes into exile. He hides away. Young Esther, is, she's in the king's court. So Mordecai writes his cousin, Queen Esther, and he says, we need to make a plan. We're in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Your family's in trouble. My family's in trouble. We need to make a plan. And so they're writing letters between each other, having them sent by courier. And, well, it was like, when I say courier, it's not RAM, all right? It's not FedEx. Uh, it looked a little different back then. Um, it, yeah, donkey eggs. Uh, <laughs> you guys are doing bad things to me. Uh, I've got all kinds of pigeon jokes now. Um, uh, but that's not how it went back then. They actually had some servants who, who liked them because of... Well, because of the fact that they showed God's love to people. And so they got these letters to each other. And so Mordecai and, and Esther, they hatched this plan where Esther goes to the king and confronts Haman. But it could cost her her life. Ultimately, she gets this audience with the king. She tells the king about what Haman is doing. And the very gallows that Haman built to hang the Jews is where he hangs that afternoon. And so a people is saved. But in the middle of the story, something beautiful is said. Mordecai writes to Esther, 
And he says, uh, in Esther 4 um, and verse 14, and he says to her, perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And so may I say to you this morning, maybe you were placed here right now for just such a time as this. Maybe God knew what he was doing. Just maybe. When we live by faith, our prayers look a little different. When we know that we belong where God has placed us, we pray different, we sound different, we look different. We approach life very, very differently. Paul, uh, the apostle, so New Testament, he's writing to the Colossian church. And, um, well, the, yeah, the Colossian church. But Paul at this stage, he, he's in prison. He's, he's facing some real challenges. He's, he's in a first century Roman prison. So it's like, it did not look like it looks today. Um, let's just end there. But Paul, Paul writes this letter, and he says to the people of Colossae, he's like, guys, will you, will you pray for me? I need some prayer support. Now, if we are in prison, if, if, if we are malnourished and probably beaten every now and then, what, what do we pray for? Get me out. If you pray for anything, pray that God gets me out. In fact, I heard about, I heard about Peter and, and that whole earthquake thing, and their chains fell off, and, and they just got to walk out of prison. You know, maybe pray for that. But somehow that's not what, what Paul asks the Colossian church to pray for. He, he doesn't ask them to, to, to pray for food, to be freed, or a better prison system. He asks this in Colossians 4, verses 3 to 4. He says, pray for us too, that God will give us opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This next line is so important. This is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Paul's prayer is simply, May help, pray that God helps me to be a good and faithful witness. The end. Pray that God will use my circumstances to serve me, to serve him. Don't pray that God goes out of the circumstances. No, no, no. Pray that God makes me everything I need to be in the circumstances. You see, Paul had a firm belief that he was made for a specific time, to be in a specific place. And that whatever happens, God has his back. We need to live by faith. Because if we live by faith, we become an accurate representation of Jesus. And then we will be known by love. How are we known by love? John 13 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this. He says, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just hang there for a moment. 
We quote that very quickly, don't we? We don't stop it. Love each other. And just breathe for a minute. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We need to be known by our love for one another. Because our love for one another will extend further than just one another. Because like I said in the beginning, the problems aren't out there. They are in here. And so the people with problems aren't out there. No, no, no. Now there's no us and them here. We are them. We need to love one another. See, that's how the church will stand out. That's what we should be known for, is our love for one another. Because love brings hope. And this week, with all the opinions and all the, all the things that we've had to say, to say in the conversations about South Africa and about what's going on in South Africa and how bad things are, I want to ask you, did, did, when you left that conversation, did, did you leave the people around you with hope? Or did we leave the people around us with fear? Because I think that's the measure. Whether we are known by love. If we leave a conversation, is everybody left in fear? Or do they have hope for a future? How do I say that? 1 John 4, 18. John writes, and he's speaking about the love of God. And he says this. Perfect love expels all fear. I love the old, the old King James here where it says, perfect love casts out all fear. It literally grabs it by the scruff of the neck, acts like the church bouncer, walks it to the door and kicks it out. It casts out fear. That's what perfect love does. That's what we need to be known for. When we allow God's love to rule our hearts, we will live by faith. We will be known by love. Fear will not rule us. And it gives us an, an opportunity to be voices of hope in the world we live in. Man, our country needs hope. Our neighbors, they, they need hope. Our families, they need hope. Your coworkers, they need hope. Your friends, those government officials, the entrepreneurs, they need hope. The petrol attendants, they need hope. The cashiers, they need hope. Everybody that you can think of, man, they need hope. They need us to be living by faith, to be known by our love so that we can be voices of hope to them. Habakkuk is another guy that faced some real challenges in his country. And he decided to stand up for his people. And he, and he went to God and he's like, God, I, we're in trouble. A bunch of us has already been taken into exile. And there is news that more trouble is coming. Help? 
And Habakkuk has, has these, he spews, it's like, everything is wrong, Lord, and, and God answers him. And Habakkuk spews, everything is wrong, Lord, and God answers. And right at the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk writes this, Habakkuk 3, verses 17 to 19, he says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and fields lie empty and barren, things are bad, all right? Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. My hope is God. And I know that when the world is shaky, he makes me sure-footed. When nobody else sees a way up, he shows me where to put my feet. That's where my hope lies. That's who my God is. As the band comes up, Jesus said, us, said something very similar. He obviously knew of what was happening in the Old Testament, and he knew what, what people was facing, and he knew the fears that we have. And so he addressed it this way. He spoke to his disciples, and he told them pretty much what the future holds. And it wasn't a pretty picture. And in John 16 and verse 33, he says the following, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus established the church here on earth to be the vehicle to carry the gospel, his good news, to the whole world. This gospel, this good news, is the cure to the sin problem that we face. The fact that we can trust him with every single detail of our existence, that's his gospel. And that's his answer to the problems we face to every single thing that is stressing us out and putting us in fear and dropping us down into pits of despair. So if we, his people, his church, would believe in him, that if we would believe that he truly is who he says he is, then we will live by faith. We'll be known by love. We will be a voice of hope to our families, to our neighbors, to this country, to the world out there. But it starts in that place that we would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because the church has always had the answer, but the church has not always acted like it's had the answer. Because maybe the church was not living by faith. And so this morning, if, if you're like, I, I don't know, you know, I, I think I follow Jesus. I want to ask you this. 
What did your conversations this week sound like? Did it give people hope? Or was it the other one? And I think the toughest question for every one of us, are we good representations of Jesus to those around us? I'm not saying you know the Bible front to back. That's not a good representation. That's a scholar. It's not who Jesus asked for. He asked for followers. Followers who will live by faith, who will be known by love, to be a voice of hope wherever they go. So if, like me, this week you were struggling, can I ask you, will you stand with me? Because I think I need to pray for all of us <laughs> that are struggling, that get caught up in those conversations, that don't see the hope of Jesus in every single day. So if that's you, you can stand. If it's not you, don't feel any pressure. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father that you have sent your son to die for our greatest problem, our sin. Lord, I thank you that we can accept that gift with open hands and open arms. And that, Lord, we don't have to earn or deserve a thing, but you give us forgiveness and the opportunity of relationship with you if we just follow you. Lord, I thank you that you change us into the men and women you have created us to be. Lord, we will live by faith in the fact that you have placed us here and now. Lord, that none of what's happening around us took you by surprise. But that anything that happens, you will take and you will turn to your glory. Lord, we pray like Paul, make us faithful witnesses to your truth, to your gospel, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be known by our love for one another. Lord, that we love people into a place of hope. That we put your love in their hearts so that fear is cast out, Father God. Help us to be voices of hope in the world we live in, in our personal lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our country, and ultimately to the world, Father. Help us to be good representations of who you are and what you are like. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.